Well, good morning, ZPC. I have uh, decided that uh, springing forward an hour when you have a newborn is cruel and unusual punishment. I hate moving forward an hour. I know more sunlight later on, but it is just a nightmare. And I learned long ago, uh, early on in my pastorate, to never use any of my good jokes uh, on the Sunday uh, whenever we spring forward an hour because everyone is just a little bit cranky and angry and nobody ever laughs. So, um, but be that as it may, you all are here, and that is good news, and it is good to be here uh, with you all this morning. Um, before I uh, read the scripture passage, I just want to kind of say something about this particular story. This story is seen in the other gospels, but uh, but oftentimes it's a little bit different, and there's uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not it's actually different stories at different times, but just that are similar, or whether or not it's the the same story and just kind of read through a different lens. And uh, so the story, though, that we will read, which will be a little bit different than what you heard from the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, we're going to use. John's version. So the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And so I invite you to hear these words from John. John says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we do come to you this morning, perhaps a bit sleep-deprived, and yet eager, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that as we gather together this morning in worship, we came, as we said last Sunday, in order to celebrate your grace, to celebrate your love, to celebrate and to rejoice over what you have done for us. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth today and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. When I was in high school, um, like probably most of you, I had to read a lot of books, a lot of kind of books about literature and things, and uh, for the most part, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed books by uh, folks like Dostoevsky or, or Jane Austen. I mean, these were books that I enjoyed. I didn't mind them at all. But there was one author that I could not stand, and that author was Ernest Hemingway. 
We had to read books uh, like For Whom the Bell Tolls and The Sun Also Rises. And I never liked Hemingway because of the simple fact that, that everything that he wrote, it was always so cryptic and there was symbolism. In fact, he himself, as I recall, kind of bragged about the fact that 90% of the meaning of his books were below the surface, which, which always just seemed a bit pretentious to me. And, and it was made worse, of course, by the fact that you would get in class and you'd have these brown Nosers, right? Who were in class and and, and, and several of you here and and um, and the teacher would say, "What do you think that Hemingway meant when he said that the bull tore into his flesh?" And and oh, they'd raise their hands and they'd wax on and on about what they thought it meant, and it was so annoying, right? And the teacher would say, "Jerry, what do you think?" Uh, seeing my disgust, and I would just say, "I think it meant that the bull tore into his flesh." Right? It just, just no patience for that kind of stuff, right? And, but I have to admit, as I got older, um, that there was a part of me that began to like that a little bit more for some reason. I don't know for sure why. I just, I did. I, I started kind of liking a little bit more of the symbolism or, or authors who perhaps spoke on kind of multiple layers, if you will. And it's for that reason that, that I have begun to like the Gospel of John a bit more as I have gotten older. We've talked about the fact that Mark, right? Mark is the Sergeant Friday of gospel writers. He's, he's clear and to the point. But, but John is the Ernest Hemingway of the gospel writers. That there's oftentimes kind of multiple layers to what it is that he says. And it's certainly, you can kind of tell from the very beginning of the gospel, it's not about, you know, it's not about John the Baptist or about Mary and an angel, right? It's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? I mean, all of this kind of, what is he saying? And, and, and having to kind of scratch below the surface to understand. Well, that's certainly the case when it comes to this particular story in John. But before we kind of try to dig underneath the surface, let's look at the surface because there's plenty of interesting stuff there. And it starts off, of course, with us knowing that this is a party, right? It's a, a party going on and uh, Lazarus is there, right? And, and, and Lazarus has just been raised from the dead, right? And, and Jesus is there, so the party's for him and it's from, for Lazarus. And, and can you imagine what kind of party this is I mean, I've been, to a, I've been to some good birthday parties, and I've been to some good other kinds of parties, but have you ever been to a party where in some ways you are celebrating the fact that someone who has been dead has been raised again? Okay, none of you, right? Now that... That is quite the party, right? Can you imagine? I mean, there would be, it would be a no-holds-barred kind of party, right? I mean, this is a celebration, right? And so there they are. They're having a great party, a wonderful dinner. Everything is going great, right? And then all of a sudden, the joy kill walks in, right? This is Mary, okay? Mary comes in, and as everyone is celebrating and everyone's having a great time, Mary walks in and begins doing some bizarre things. She, she breaks open the perfume, and she begins to pour it on his feet, right? And, uh, but not only that, of course, she takes her, her hair out, right, and allows her hair to fall down. And, and while that seems kind of strange perhaps to us, it would have been horrible in that day and age, a proper woman would never have let her hair down in public, especially in mixed company. 
right? Which is kind of interesting because the last two Sundays we've talked about how proper men wouldn't run and yet both times Zacchaeus and then the father of the prodigal son ran and, and now this woman is doing something improper. It's, it's kind of interesting that whenever Jesus is around, it seems people are continually doing improper things, which is another sermon probably for another day. And so here in the midst of all of this kind of awkwardness as everyone's celebrating and then all of a sudden probably there's just silence as they see this woman doing this bizarre thing with this perfume and her hair and wiping Jesus' feet. And usually, of course, in these kinds of times when there's an awkward silence or event, it's Peter who, who, who says something. That's kind of Peter's kind of uh, his claim to fame is saying stupid things at the wrong time. But but while Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, it is a group of people like in the story that we heard on the video. In John, it's Judas who says something. And Judas says, you know, why is it that, that she's using this perfume on you? It could have been used to, to give to the poor. 300 denarii, typically a year's worth of wages. To which Jesus says, well... Don't bother her. She's doing this as a preparation for my death. And the poor, he says, you will always have with you. It's a a kind of a strange story in a lot of ways. And i got to tell you, it's one of these stories that has always kind of bothered me. And the reason why the story always bothers me is because I always, when I hear this story, I tend to side with Judas. And and I, and I, and I kind of think that's not really the guy. I mean, I've read the Gospels a few times, but I don't think that's the guy with whom I am supposed to feel most like. But here's, you know, think about the story. If the story had gone, there was a party and the woman came in and she started to cut off the perfume and to pour it on and Jesus said, stop. Don't use this perfume on me. Use it for the poor. We would have all said, that's Jesus. He always cares about the poor more than himself. But he doesn't do that here. And the more I look over the story and the more I think about it, the more I have to keep thinking to myself, I'm sorry, but Judas is right. That this really is an absolute waste of money. You use the perfume right there, then it's over. How long could that have fed the poor? This is an illogical and nonsensical waste of resources. It is a waste. And the more I kind of looked over this passage, though, the more I realized that in some ways, perhaps, not only is this story on the surface a waste, but actually what John is doing, remember, he's Hemingway, is pointing to an even greater waste that is about to happen. 
Here, here's what I mean. How does John start the story? He starts the story by saying it's six days before the Passover, right? Now, John doesn't tell you that because he wants you to say, oh, okay, look in the calendar. Oh, great, it was a Tuesday. I was really interested in that. No, why does John say that? Because he wants you to think about the Passover. And what's the Passover? Well, the Passover, of course, is when they celebrate their freedom from slavery, right? And the actual Passover was when they killed a lamb, right, and put the blood up on the door, right? So, so he's beginning with the sense of a Passover. So before we even hear the story, we're thinking about the Passover. We're thinking about freedom from slavery. We're thinking about a sacrificial lamb. You hear Hemingway there? And then he, and then he goes on, of course, and he brings up Lazarus, right? Well, we know Lazarus. We had just heard about Lazarus, but he decides to tell us, to remind us, as if you would have forgotten, that this was the Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. So all of a sudden, we're thinking about the sacrificial lamb. We're thinking about the dead and being raised, right? And then we continue on, right? And all of a sudden, he uses the word dinner. He says that there's a dinner, right? And, and, and you may be interested to know that there's lots of different words that you can use in Greek for dinner, but this particular time, he uses a particular Greek word, and he only, John only uses it one other time. Can you think of one other time when John might have used the word dinner? You guys see brown nosers, right? Yeah. The Last Supper. And not only that, but then when it says that she's wiping his feet, there's only one other time when, when John uses that particular Greek word for wipe, and he could have used other words. And can you think about when that was? No, where's the brown nosers now? Come on, where? When Jesus is wiping the disciples' feet, at the night of the Last Supper, right? And then, of course, it goes on, and this is the one time in this story when Jesus says, and the reason why she was doing this was to prepare me for my burial. In other words, right, it doesn't take the sharpest of people to begin to see after all of these things, what John is doing is he's speaking in multiple layers. And as he's telling us this one little story about this woman who breaks perfume and is wasting it on Jesus, that he's also pointing to the death and to the cross. In other words, he is pointing, it seems to me, to another illogical and senseless waste. The death of Jesus on the cross. And yet the most beautiful, nonsensical, and illogical, wasteful act that we have ever known. When I was in Kansas City uh, is when I met Megan, my wife. I was 30 years old. Uh, I was jobless. Um, I was living with family. I was mooching off of everyone I could, and I had enough student loans uh, to buy a decent-sized house. In other words, I was a real catch. <laughs> I met Megan, 
And Megan was in the middle of, of graduate school at seminary, and, and, and she, had a, a, her, she was doing well there. She loved it. She had a great community of friends. She was uh, living not with her family at all. Uh, she had a job that she absolutely loved. She was just a few months away, uh, I think three months away, if that much, from graduating and kind of moving on. I mean, everything was going great for her, and, and then we met You guys are feeling sorry for her already. And all of a sudden, her grades started dropping. She started uh, being late at work. Uh, uh, her, Her friends, you've lived this, her friends were getting angry because she was never around anymore, right? And the reason for that, of course, is because she was always with this guy, right? The deadbeat boyfriend, And the reason why all of that was happening, and Megan and I knew this, was because we were absolutely falling, as sappy as it sounds, in love with one another. But for her professors and her boss and her friends and probably her parents, if they had known, she was wasting her life. Because everything else in her life was being wasted by spending all of this time and money and energy on me. But the reality, of course, is that both of us were right. Both sides. It was us absolutely falling in love, but it was also, from their perspective, and understandably so, an absolute illogical and senseless waste And yet it was a waste that changed our lives forever. Which is why it does not bother me to think about the fact that in some sense Judas was right. This was a waste. You could have clearly used that money to have done great things. But what happens is that when you fall and are in love with, in this case, the Messiah that there are going to be times when you simply do not do what is logical and efficient because of your love for Jesus. And it's also why it doesn't bother me that we can certainly understand in some perspective, as strange as it sounds, that Jesus' death on the cross was a waste. A beautiful waste, but a waste because Jesus got up on that cross and he knew that there would be people who would never turn to him. And yet he still got up on that cross. He knew that there would be followers like you and like me who would run to him. And then when things got hard, they would run away. And yet he said, it is worth the waste. He knew that as we go and as we confess our sin, that we are going to turn around and we are going to sin again. And yet he says, I am willing to make that waste again. Why? Because he loves us so much that he cannot help but do it. And sometimes it seems to me we get so caught up in efficiency and logic and we forget that whenever you have love, you will always have waste. In fact, loving someone in reality is willing to be wasteful with them. 
So often, I think the church gets caught up, perhaps, in thinking about what is logical and what is efficient and what makes sense and what's the best use of our money. And to be sure, hear me now, it's good for us to have people who are thinking like that. But when you're in a church, as we talked about last Sunday, full of older brothers who are always logic and fairness first, it's important for us to have enough others who are saying, where are we being wasted? Where are we loving people who may never love us back? Where are we giving money to people who will never give it to us back again? Where are we caring for people who may never care for us at all? Because I want you to know this. If you cannot look at your life and figure out places where you are wasting your time and your money and your energy on somebody, then you might want to ask whether you are genuinely loving them. This weekend, as you know, is a great banquet. And as has been well uh, uh, talked about, I have I've not yet gone to great banquet, okay? And, and that's, you know, it's okay. I will go at some point. And I know that not everyone here has gone to great banquet, so you may not know what it is. And I, well, I can't tell you, right? And, and don't ask anybody who's been through because they won't tell you either, right? And, uh, but, uh, but I know that people have been changed, right? It has something to do with grace and a rooster. That's what I figured out so far, right? Those of you who have been there, you, 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 you're getting it, okay? But as I've mentioned before, when I have gone to other desserts, right, people have talked about this. They, they, they've talked about how much it has changed them. And so I, I was thinking about that, and this is probably a year ago. I was talking to one of the leaders of, of, of Great Banquet, and, and he was saying to me, you know, sometimes it's a struggle for us to get, to get folks to come and be a part of Great Banquet. And especially guys. He said, you know, it's especially hard sometimes to get gentlemen to come and, and do it. And, and, and I was thinking about that. You know, they call it kind of a great banquet weekend, but you realize it's not a weekend, right? Because do you know when it starts? It starts Thursday. So I was thinking to myself, and I actually ended up saying something to him. Well, you know, you probably increase the likelihood of getting more people if you didn't start on Thursday, but you started on Friday night. Because, of course, if you start on Thursday, then somebody, even before they know exactly what they're getting themselves into, they have to waste a vacation day. We don't have this on three-day weekends, at least not this weekend, and not usually, I don't think. They have to waste a vacation day. They have to waste time that they could spend working or that they could spend with their family or they could spend giving to the poor, if that was what they were going to do on a particular Friday. And so I said to him, I said, you know, maybe, maybe, is there any way for us, not knowing what's going on here, is there any way for us to shrink this a little bit? And, and I, 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 I appreciate his honesty. He said, well, yeah, but it wouldn't be great banquet. Right? And so I said, okay, fine. And my guess is he was trying to think through all the different things that they had to do on the program to kind of get everything, you know, to fit in that right time. But the more I thought about it as I read this text this week, the more I began to realize that perhaps, and don't get me wrong, there are great reasons I know why it is effective, you know, lots of good things. I hear the food is really good. There's lots of other great reasons. But I think that perhaps one of the reasons why it's so effective is because it simply forces you, before you even start, to be willing to waste a day. 
The weekend we might give, it's hard, but to waste a Friday is a whole nother ball game. And that there are times when the only real change we begin seeing in our lives is when we are willing to waste something that is important to us out of love for others or for God. I thought about that again when it came to, you know, when it comes to our donuts, right? I talked about this several months ago about the fact that I don't, people give me a hard time about this. I don't put money in for our donuts, right? The donuts that we have out there, right? And, 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 and part of the reason is just because I don't, I really don't ever have cash, right? And I'm not going to throw my card up there, right? Uh, 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 but part of it, you know, is, is, and, and the reason why I talk about it is because I want to give you permission to not give money. Because when you don't give money, I want you to know something. We could use that money that you would have given for something really good. And when you don't give your money, I want you to know we are wasting it on you. And I want you to know that I am glad that we are doing that. It is important to me for you to know that while we love the poor, And while we love the staff and we love everything else, we love you. And if you can't give that money, I want you to know, or if you just don't want to, I want you to know that is wonderful because it gives us an opportunity to waste our money on you. And that's a good thing. This Friday night, we'll have the inquirer's class, right? In the inquirer's class, Scott already brought this up. And so, you know, you guys are going to be coming over, right, to our house on Friday night, right? Those, not all of you, hopefully, but all, those of you who, who are going to, to join, right? And, and I want you to know that that is an incredibly inefficient thing to do. It would be much better for us, quite frankly, especially depending upon the number of people, to just do it here in the gathering space. I mean, you've got plenty of space. You've got a big kitchen. It, it would work much better in there. And, and not, only, not only that, of course, but, uh, but, but, but you know, we're, what we're going to talk about is not that much on Friday night. We could easily do it on Saturday morning. But we want you to know that we want to waste our time cleaning our house And waste our time. Those of you who will be making food, we don't make the food. And waste our money by getting child care. And waste elders' time, those who are coming. We want you to know what we want to waste all of those things for you. Because what is more important to us than you thinking we have a well-run and efficient organization is that you know that we love you. And beloved community is built on a willingness to waste time and money and energy on one another. You may never come back. And that's okay. We want you to. But that's what love does. And the other part of it, quite frankly, is that we want to know whether or not you think that we are worth wasting your Friday night on. Because if you're not, and that's okay, but it may not be the right time then for you to join our community and what we're trying to do. When you can still come and do all those things, but, but we want you to know that we want to waste our time with you and we hope you want to waste your time with us. And when you leave this Sunday morning, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this particular sermon, but other sermons as well. I was thinking about the fact that, you know what? I know that there are Sundays when people leave here and they think to themselves, well, that was a waste of time. And 
I want you to know that's okay. I, I don't need you to tell me that. But it's okay. Especially if you then come back again the next Sunday. Because when you are willing to come to worship and to leave and to say, well, that was a waste of time. But then you say, but I'm going to go back again next Sunday anyways. You are showing your maturity in the discipleship of Christ. Where you are saying, no matter whether or not I receive back in great bountiful amounts or whether I receive nothing, because of my love for Jesus and the church, I am going to keep coming back and keep loving and keep caring. The community of faith, just like Jesus, is not about logic and not about efficiency. Mary sitting there and worshiping Jesus and breaking out this year of wages that could have been given to the poor was not about logic and efficiency. It was about love. And the more that we as a church can understand that Mary's pouring out of the perfume on Jesus and Jesus is pouring out his blood for us was not about what made sense but was about his endless grace for us. And the more it seems to me we will be a people who embrace waste, a waste that is an act of love and grace for others. Sisters and brothers, let us be a wasteful people that others may know no matter what they give to us in return that we will continue to love and to care and to give. A people of waste, may it be so. Amen.